What do you consider to be unusual? Oh, I don't know. What do you recommend? Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of CuffCast, a resource of all films, weird, underground, and fantastic. The types of films we'll be showcasing at the 2021 Calgary Underground Film Festival. I'm lead programmer of Cuff and host of the podcast, Cameron McGowan, and with me as always is my co-host, Rhett Miller. And today we are joined by my fellow Cuff cohorts, Brenda Lieberman and Brendan Tilly to go over the entire Cuff 2021 lineup. We're also joined by Nick Pruer to discuss the Found Footage Festival, as well as his first board game, Dream Crush. And we are also joined by special guest Devereaux Milburn to discuss his crazy, psychedelic, hillbilly brain-rotting opus, Honeydew. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the 2021 Calgary Underground Film Festival Overview. I'm joined today by my close friends and festival cohorts. Please introduce yourselves. Brennan Tilly. What do you do? P- program for the film festival. <laughs> <laughs> I got caught off guard. I'm not a public speaker, Cam. We didn't rehearse saying my name. We didn't name. rehearse anything. <laughs> well, who you got beside you? Who's that beside you? Brenda Lieberman, programmer as well. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us, gang. So we're going to go over our entire lineup as of March 30th, where there may be some films that have snuck in afterwards, and we love you equally. You just weren't booked at the time of recording. So let's break this down into narratives, gang. we got so many cool movies that we're just going to go alphabetically. So narrative, to kick things off, we've got a local-ish film, Bloodthirsty, a pop music werewolf thriller uh, produced by Mike Peterson and Wendy Hill Toot. Some original songs went, written by uh, Wendy's daughter, I believe. Sure. <laughs> Amelia, Mo- Amelia Moses directed it. It's her second film. I just really thought this was great. We love supporting local content, and it's a really subtle werewolf film, which I, I appreciate in a monster flick. So you get caught up in sort of the dramatic story elements of the two lead actresses and the whole like a story behind the lead who's recording a new music album yeah it has a fun archie vibe i i liked how uh, kind of rambunctious it was definitely a solid horror thriller next on the docket we got a uh, examination of the video nasties thatcher era film called censor brendan what uh, what are your thoughts on this beautiful film oh i i love this film and i think it's a uh... A side of things that aren't looked at is that, uh, you know, we have the video nasties and won't someone think of the children? (laughs) But uh, someone needs to think of the censors. This poor woman has to watch all these nasty, nasty films that we all love so much, but she has to do it as a job day in and day out. And that might not uh, work out so well for her. It might kind of start affecting her a little bit there mentally. So it's it's a wild ride. It's a fun ride. Some people may or may not disappear. Maybe someone can explain it to me at the end. I love this film and I'm so glad we were able to play it yeah it's definitely of the elevated horror genre and it uh, premiered as one of the late night flicks at sundance speaking of late night flicks from sundance we have the new australian thriller coming home in the dark this is for folks who 
may enjoy uh, Animal Kingdom or the Snowtown Murders. Definitely very grisly, pseudo-documentary look at crime and the effects it has on people. And definitely goes some directions that you don't think it's going to. Loved this film, was so happy when we got it. Uh, Brendan, I believe you had a chance to catch this at Sundance as well as this year? Oh yeah, Coming Home in the Dark is one of my favorite thrillers of the last few years. And it takes a very abrupt turn, which I uh, I love. It, it, it sets itself up as something and then it... It lets you know relatively subtly, but also pretty on the nose that uh, something is about to happen and then something happens and then nothing stops happening for the remaining hour, hour and a half. It's just nonstop yeah. edge of your seat. You come to bed and your wife wants to know why you've been crying all night. Yeah, uh, yeah intense. it's it's intense. Get yourself ready for this one. <laughs> On the less intense docket, we don't only want to program dark films at Cuff, even though I'd say that this year so many feature films were dark. It was almost inescapable. I'd have to watch Transformers to break up these screeners as a bit of a palate cleanser. But on the less dark side, First Date, another film from Sundance. Romantic comedy, one night in a life of adventure, similar to something like Something Wild. Very fun, fancy free. If you're watching with a lover, put this one on or someone who doesn't want to uh, be traumatized for the next few days. Yeah, and I'd say if, if there's any genre of film they like, uh, they'll get it from this film. It's just yeah. like a real melting pot of... This is the crowd pleaser. Every type of film we love just got thrown in a blender yeah. and came out as first date. And yeah. we, we love that concoction. Yeah. No kale. Favorite, all all strawberry, no kale. My, my favorite actually in this film, if uh, after everyone watches it, is the cops. Oh, yes. I, I, I love the two cops in this film. For our uh, horror kids in the house, we got Frank and Zed, a beautiful claymation Frankenstein throwback from uh, Jesse Blanchard. This film played at uh, Fantastic Fest late last year. I think Brenda and I watched this the same day and immediately texted, yep, we're booking that. Thanks for the reference, Peter Kaposki. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a complete puppet film. I can't even begin to imagine the amount of work and craftsmanship that went into making this film. Yeah, yes. must have been years. There must be many blistered fingers, a lot of um, nights missed out with friends and family. Maybe Dr. Pepper. I don't know what fuels you during those nights. Probably the creation itself, because it really shows this is a passionate film. You could just really tell that he's got influences, like Jim Henson influences. But he's taken this to a completely different direction in terms of like tone and... How graphic. Yeah, think about Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles, but with a Frankenstein-style twist. There you go. And you know what to expect. Next up, we have our opening night film, virtually, Golden Arm. Brenda, you love this film. I love, I love this film. What, what, why do you love this film, I think Brenda? we all love this film the minute we saw it. It's a predominantly female film about world arm wrestling championships, it's funny, it's light, it's going to be a really great way to kick it off. It's starring uh, Mary Holland and Betsy Sidero. I love her as a character actress, and she's not always playing the lead, and she is in this one, and uh, carries the film. It's really fun. It's going to be a great kickoff. This film's only going to screen on our first night on April 23rd at a set time, 7 p.m., so you're going to want to watch it live at that screening. Yeah, we're definitely looking to have guests for that one. So hopefully we've locked some by the time this podcast is released. But another crowd pleaser, you will walk away gleaming after Golden Arm. But now we go back to some more depressing films, gang. 
itchy fingers, a very empathetic yet darkly comedic look at a, not a school shooter, but a teen shooter. Very relevant, shocking, but humane at the same time. And probably the most underground film we have on the lineup. I'd be surprised if this movie was made for more than $100,000. Filled with brilliant performances. The lead actor delivers on all cylinders. Think of something yeah. like Gus Van Sant's Elephant, but done through like the improv comedy world. So an added layer of cringe. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, it was a submission that we got. And it's a really quiet film, but it's got this very sad, just disturbing undertone to it. I mean, the lead's really trying to make his way as a comedy actor and the There's just no way it's going to work out. But he he is so strong as an actor that I just sort of felt like from the minute of watching this film you're really engrossed in yeah. In absolutely. his character all the way through. Yeah, this one was submitted to us and it was one of the first ones I watched and Brenda same thing. We were both like we should really try to make room for this. Next up, we have the Estonian stop-motion animation comedy classic in the making, The Old Man Movie. This is the oldest film on our lineup, so you know we really like it. We love bringing you the cutting-edge, hot-off-the-press movies, but we love bringing you movies you wouldn't otherwise know about. And The Old Man Movie is like the French stop-motion animation classic, A Town Called Panic, or something like Wallace and Gromit, but completely scatological, completely absurd, you're not going to want to miss the Old Man movie. Brenda, you like the Old Man movie? I love it. Yeah, I don't know. It's completely absurd, too. I don't know how else to describe it. It's going to melt your brain. Yeah. And another film that was submitted to us, coming up next, Plagiarism with a Z. I'm not sure where this and was made. <laughs> I believe, I'm not sure if it was made in Estonia. It's a European sexual sci-fi film. Kind of like a best-case scenario of the most bisexually explicit Black Mirror episode possible. Definitely Greg Araki influences, high on quirk style set design. The film was recently acquired by Kino Lorber. It's gonna be getting a wider release. Keep your eyes on this. Totally wacky, commits on all levels. Definitely aligned in the sand film. I personally love it, but I did have to fight to get this film in the lineup. And I was on the topic of influences, I would say it wears its Cronenberg reference on its sleeve rather explicitly. Yeah, and there's some Xavier Dolan references in there. Beautiful film from a young filmmaker. Uh, he's the writer, star, director. Very charismatic. I hope he gets to make more movies. It was awesome. I hope he watches our festival. That's what I felt watching this film. Was like, man, this, this was made by a dude who would check out Cuff and love our entire lineup. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so next up is a film that's quite personal to me. It's the spiritual sequel to Kyle Thomas's film, The Valley Below, which I was happy to be a producer on, entitled Range Roads, a local Alberta production funded by Telefilm. This will be the third screening coming off of the Canadian Film Festival and CineQuest. Beautiful rural Alberta film. Great score. Excellent cinematography, as usual, from North Country Cinema. This one's definitely going to sell out, so be sure to buy your tickets for Range Roads. Next time might be my favorite film of the festival. I don't want to pick favorites, but I watched this one twice. Riders of Justice, starring Mads Mikkelsen from the director of Green Butchers, and Men and Chicken, we love them. And Adam's Apples. Adam's Apples, Adam's a tough apples. favorite. Uh, Brenda was like, I, I don't even know if I need to watch this movie because I know we're going to book it. But I'm like, Brenda, find time to watch it. And when you did, 
I love this movie. This is a standout in the festival for sure. I love this director. I like his dark comedy style. And I remember when Cam first watched it, he was like, oh, this feels like a little bit of a different style of film for this director. I wonder where the dark comedy is going to come in. But then 20 minutes later, I said, oh, there we are. (laughs) Aside from that, like it's a really quirky kind of almost absurdist revenge film with Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, and he's giving an Academy Award-winning performance as the most well-intended idiot. My God, this goes in some dark directions. I was not anticipating at the get-go. I, was, I thought this could be a more political film, but whew, it goes off the rails. It's a must-see film of the festival, and this film's only going to be available for a really limited window during the dates, too, so make sure you catch it. Yeah, yeah and I would say that you know Anders Thomas Jensen, someone who's kind of helped establish what a cuff film is like if we go back to the barometer of those dark comedies back to our our early years i think adam's apple is kind of that's where it starts for a cuff and really establishing that type of film and sort of followed him for 15 years now and just keep being blown away by his films and keep being like hey if if you're into cuff these are the films that we are finding and, and really want to keep playing it's a cuff film through and through yeah absolutely Uh, Next up, we have what would be the finest of our midnight films if we were in person. The new trauma, hot off the press, Shakespeare's Shitstorm. Can you describe it in iambic pentameter, Cameron? (laughs) As Brennan jokes, this is Lloyd's restaging of The Tempest. And keen viewers will see Calgary and Night Terror Zone, Cody Cook in multiple scenes doing deviant acts. I would say... This is Troma's most politically correct film to date, even though it takes on PC culture. Um, When I read the synopsis at Fantasia, I felt like this was going to be an out-of-date take on PC culture, but it actually is a very interesting statement on inclusion. And this might be the most inclusive, grotesque, vomitous film since the early John Waters days, and the most well-intended. It brought back Great memories of the anarchy spirit of trauma that fueled my early filmmaking endeavors. And I was so happy that it was good. Not to say I had low expectations, but filmmakers don't get better as they got older. But Lloyd has been. And it's a great film. I hope you all check out Shakespeare's Shitstorm. And I think something you touched on there is that it goes back to the early trauma films. That I think there are certain things in trauma films that, you know, trauma fans latched onto and and loved and maybe the more puerile aspects of Troma is what they then made more of and it's great for what it is but this is really back to that spirit that you know carried through in the Toxic Avengers films and a message and the the, the best parts of Troma to me yeah 100% burn some bones with your friends to this one get some beers <laughs> this is good the party time and speaking of parties and times summertime is the new film from Carlos Lopez Estrada the director of Blind Spotting And what I'd call it a gritty la-la land, a beat poetry la-la land. To look through one super hot day in L.A. through the lives of singers, dancers, and actors. Done through beat poetry and um, dance numbers. uh, Beautifully shot. Loved the cinematography. Wish we could play this one on the big screen. But an essential watch regardless. I also think that it's got, I believe, 25 of the poets were involved in the writing of this film and acting in it. So when you're talking team and collaboration on a film project, 
This is yeah, it's beautiful. The number of extras they stage for some of these sequences, um, and again, a very authentic film. And authenticity is what we love to celebrate most at Cuff. This might feel like the least Cuff film, but and by no means is it not a Cuff film. It highlights some beautiful beat poets that you might not otherwise know about, and definitely has um, some great things to say about the direction of art and how art can stay relevant through the younger generations. A very modern take on something like Shortcuts. Yeah, modern Shortcuts, definitely. Next up, we have a lovely giallo horror film throwback, The Last Matinee. This film played at Fantastic Fest back then, October. And I am highly critical of giallo throwbacks. There have been so many... And there have been some bad ones. Throw it like back! <laughs> it might. It felt like it was a bit played out. We see a lot of Giallo throwbacks, but this one is so authentic and so informed on the genre. The camera work is beautiful. There's some dolly moves that don't stop. There's gigantic posters for some of the best Giallo films of all time. The dialogue is of its time in a way that's not like the editor, that doesn't judge the dialogue it uses it to make the film feel like it's it's of its time so it's a it's a great slasher film set in a movie theater it's one of my favorite subgenres and luckily this thing turned out to be awesome uh together together brenda are you a fan of this movie i love this film uh, i saw it at sundance it's a really quirky comedy starring ed helm and patty harrison they're really great the concept behind this film is he's in his 40s and he wants to be a father uh, he's single so he hires a surrogate and it's a really sweet film about a platonic loving relationship and him trying to have a baby and make it fit in amongst all of his friends too. Like just be part of this world where everyone's typical married couples and having babies and he's trying to do something a little bit different and he really wants uh, to be a single father. And uh, the relationship between them is really great. Almost feels like a Ted Lasso type of feature, like lightness of the comedy, nice comedy. Yeah, totally. I was watching the Q&A for it at Sundance and it's really great to watch a story that isn't typical cliche setup. It's unique in that way. So I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, I believe they definitely will. And last up in our narratives is Vicious Fun, the new Black Fawn horror comedy. Another one wild night. This follows what happens if a horror-obsessed doofus were to stumble across an AA meeting for serial killers. Absolutely wild, unpredictable, so fun. And this movie from the get-go, the movie's called Vicious Fun, but even in the first scene, it lets you know that this movie has nothing more in mind for you than a great time. And with that comes great performances, unpredictable twists, cool cinematography, awesome soundtrack. They got the rights to one of my favorite Drab Majesty songs. Very jealous. Want to ask them about how they wrangled that at the Q&A. But yes, that's Vicious Fun rounding out our lineup of narrative films. And now on to the excellent documentaries we'll be presenting later this month. Kicking things off, fresh from South by Southwest is Alien on Stage. I just watched this last week. Was so charmed. Brennan, did you get to check this out? Oh, I checked this out. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm a huge fan of bus drivers from Dorset. So when they do anything, I'm into it. But them performing Alien is just like right up my alley. Yeah, it's a beautiful community theater production of Ridley Scott's Alien. Reeks of Cuff in the best way possible. I cannot wait to present this to y'all. Speaking of another film that 
Just stinks of cuff. Bad attitude. The art of Spain Rodriguez. Fresh off a of slam dance. I believe I texted you all 10 minutes into the film. We need to book Bad Attitude. And then we booked it 10 minutes into me watching it. I, we, we got to the credits and I put it on pause and, and quickly wrote an email that this film was being booked. This is, this is a cuff documentary. It's one of those ones that, um, yeah, we just knew it was a film for us without even having to watch it. And it's a great ride. Spain Rodriguez is, is really right up our alley in terms of an artist. and Yeah, he's a cohort of our crumb. So fans of uh, Terry Zwigoff's crumb will not want to miss this. However, Spain's a much nicer person than Crumb, and it was made by um, Spain's ex-wife, Susan Stern, uh, I believe it's one of her many documentary films, but it's extremely candid, and it's just a great look at an underappreciated artist, and that's what Cuff's all about, man. Next up is Fresh Off a Slam Dance, End of the Line, The Women of Standing Rock, an incredible documentary that looks at the small group of indigenous women who risk their lives protesting the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline construction. A uh, huge news item, but this is the most compassionate look I've seen at the protesters' side of things, and an important film for Cuff to show. Next up, we have a wonderful sports documentary, Fearless, about a very ma-and-pa-style boxing gym. Brenda, uh, what do you think about this film? Oh, I think it's great. I just love to watch um, documentaries where it's like a day in the life of a little snippet into somebody's like personal world and that's what this film really is when you're taken through those who run the boxing gym and the different people involved with it in the community and it was made by a husband and wife directing producing partner yeah and you can really feel the community aspect of this it uh, it just feels good and I, I think for you know people that caught donut king at cuff docks it's that same kind of vibe of the like mom and pop business and then with punching you know like it there wasn't as much punching in donut king but uh it's got that same vibe uh, next up we're partnering with the re-release of heartworn highways presented by Keno Lorber. It's a beautiful new 4k restoration of the classic country western film starring the man himself towns van zant david allen coe steve earl guy clark charlie daniels if you like outlaw country music you know and love this film but now it's time for everybody else to learn about it. Definitely check that out. And while we're talking about music, we want to talk about Keyboard Fantasies, which follows an independent synth musician, a woman out of Ontario, who has her own Atari-powered home synth studio. Super cool, super inspiring, may give you some ideas of what to do with some of your COVID spare time. Next up is Fresh Off of South by Southwest, Kid Candidate. Brennan, what do you what do you like about this movie? Uh, I mean, I'm just a, a huge fan of the videos that started this whole thing that Hayden Pedigo released, kind of mocking civic politics a little bit, and then actually ran for place one in the Amarillo municipal election a few years ago at, I think, 24. Just a, a young kid with some heart and some progressive ideals. I mean, I think this year with us having our own municipal election here in Calgary is particularly relevant. And I'm just so in love with this film. Yeah. And I really hope people come and check it out and see what Hidden Pedigo is commenting on with uh, some civic politics. I was so happy when we were able to book this one. It was so charming. I loved it. Next up is another doc that is so charming and that I love. So Late, So Soon from Oscilloscope, lovely distributor of some of your favorite documentary films. This is a look at two struggling Chicago artists kind of living hand to mouth and the beautiful yet surly relationship they have with each other. I don't think you can get more candid than this movie. All warts are on screen in the best way possible. 
feels like a John Cassavetes film, but everything's actually happening. Another one uh, we have about music and kind of, uh, you know, retro culture is Vinyl Nation. Brenda, what do you have to say about uh, Vinyl Nation? Yeah, this is another film that as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is perfect for us. It's really just about the resurgence of uh, records and the nostalgia of records. And it goes into a lot about uh, Record Store Day and collectors. And it feels like really, really timely, actually. We're in a time, I feel like, where there's a resurgence of everything kind of going back in time. And that's what this film Vinyl Nation reminds me of. Yeah, it really celebrates the tactile nature of art and definitely something worth celebrating. And last but not least is definitely our brightest shining star of the documentary lineup, Workhorse Queen that follows one of the contestants of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Mrs. Kasha Davis. <laughs> Mrs. Kasha Davis in their general day-to-day -day life and kind of the non-glitzy side of being a drag queen. The workhorse life. By no means glamorous, but by every means glamorous. You definitely want to check out Workhorse Queen. Part of the uh, programming process that we actually put the most effort into, the most amount of time, is picking our short films. We get so many submitted to us and we make sure every single one of them is watched at least three times before we make a decision. We have some awesome short films. This might be an all-time record high for Alberta produced short films. Would you all agree? Oh, for sure, yeah. I think so. Yeah, with some of the highlights being Ellie Stewart's The Curse, Boneyard Racers, the uh, Drag Racing Ghost film. It's just a really strong year for Calgary and Alberta artists. And I want to congratulate you all. I'm sorry we couldn't accept all of your films, but we accepted a lot of them. There were a lot of good ones. So much so we were considering doing a package, but we've instead decided to sprinkle them out before features and what have you. But yeah, Brennan's kind of the king of the shorts, the king of cartoons. Um, so Brennan, why don't you take the driver's seat to talk about some of the short film offerings this year? Yeah, I mean, as you said, we have a lot of shorts. And so I, I don't even know how it run down most of them, but I do want to highlight a few things. One is how many alumni short filmmakers we have. So one of the things we, we do a lot of is play a short and then that filmmaker gets their feature to us and all those types of things. But to have someone like Mary Dodderman who are now playing her third short, Lucky Feet is great. Jack Dunphy's Chekhov was my favorite short of three or four years ago. I absolutely love Chekhov, still watch it all the time. So when I saw Revelations was being released, it was top on my list to see and it's an absolute heartbreaker to me and I'm sure it's going to remain one of my favorite films of this year. We also have Trash Scab, another uh, alumni one from Philip Steaker who had Sales Ready with us a few years ago. This one's even weirder. This one is even weirder but seems so perfect pandemic film and I think that's one of the things this year mm. is we saw so many, so many pandemic films but they were too on the nose. And this we one is... We were very critical of pandemic this films. Is, this is like, hey, in a pandemic, what happened with that garbage? And this guy is what happened with that garbage. And uh, he is great much in the line of that. And, you know, several other alumni filmmakers. Actually, I should really do a shout out to, to Maxwell, who actually came out to our festival with Chest of Drawers a couple years ago. And then we have With Pleasure, which is 
almost undescribable, poetic and sexy, and a little bit violent, <laughs> which is how I like my sexy poetry. Uh, so that kind of covers off some of the alumni, but also we obviously have, you know, that general cuff weirdness, stuff like Bubble. Always my favorite package, Bubble. Oh, oh that bubble, blew me away. We spend a lot of time on the day we make our shorts decisions talking about food, because we're there for yeah. eight hours we're together. And Brenda so. provides the best snacks. Yeah, except what she didn't provide was something that, that turned into food, and that's what bubble was, uh, and that was just really, uh, really made me pause on on drinking my americano while I had to watch that weirdness. <laughs> we have a lot of relationship films. We yes. have some beautiful Quebecois relationship films. It's always great to have a package of I wouldn't call them palate cleanser films, but films with the cuff sensibility that don't have the gore of some of these other packages that you you can watch in a safe space. Well, and we have a documentary package this year for the first time at our main festival. Yeah. So we've got kind of the packages are divided a little bit more based on half weirdness and relationships and mashed up everything to more genre. And then this documentary. And there's this doc on this cute old man who's are you gonna say, is do you obsessed see what I see, with rockets. No. Oh, Rocket Man, yeah. Oh, I don't, it's so beautiful. It's so cute. All of the docs were so genuine this year that we just had to make a whole package for it. And it wasn't even intentional. It's just we ended up with so many awesome docs. And yeah, Brad Abrams returns with Do You See What I See? Another conspiracy film from, you know, the master of cryptozoology conspiracy docs. Um, really another true story is is Reckless from Tank Standing Buffalo, who does our festival animation. Yes, so, and who Brendan has an interview with following our lineup overview here. But yeah, Tank Standing Buffalo is a great local artist, has done all types of stuff around town, had this film in TIFF last year, and we're so happy to play it. And then, as I said, he also does our festival animation. So you'll be seeing a lot of his animation if you're at Cuff this year, checking it out online. It's amazing. Yeah, and be sure to check out all the packages through your platform, however you're viewing the films. Look for the short films attached to features. A lot of them exist, and we'll try to make a playlist specifically for those. But check out every single short film you can. These are the filmmakers whose features we hope to program in the future. And on the topics of shorts before features, they're very much not tacked on. We put them there because... Curated. It is a perfect pairing in our mind for... A feature, and that's where we put all those. So, if there's a feature interested in, we sure think you're going to enjoy the short too. So, please watch it. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, while we are all online again this year, unfortunately, we still have some special events that we're planning. We're going to have some filmmaker panels that are in the works that I'm sure I'll be involved in, being the uh, loudmouth of the group. We have a script read that we'll be doing virtually. Brenda, can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so this will be our, I believe, third time doing a live script reading. So mm-hmm. this one is a script that is going to be directed by Michael Peterson. And we're going to be casting for the script reading. It's going to be taking place on Saturday, May 1st of the festival at 2 p.m. And Michael Ironside's going to be reading one of the character parts. It's actually an excellent way for the filmmaking team to get feedback from our audience who wants to participate with feedback. And then also, you know, see how the script reads out loud, casted, is a great experience for the team, too. And it allows us a further opportunity to showcase more local content. Yes, and thanks to them for being so trusting in this vulnerable stage. I know as a filmmaker myself, I would never do this without, uh, you know, a mouthful of... uh, Antidepressants. <laughs> so we're really happy to have our homeboys from the Found Footage Festival back. Nick and Joe, what can we expect from Found Footage this year, Brennan? 
Well, I mean, it's the, I think it's their thirtieth time here. <laughs> we 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 love Joe and Nick, and so they've got a, another program of found footage for us. Those classic VHS finds. They're still they're still. I remember when VHS died, and I was working at the video store, and it went out with a whimper of the pacifier starring Vin Diesel. But they're still tracking down VHS they haven't seen before. Put them together, and they're. A hoot. I don't really know how some could be a cuff fan and not have seen one of our found footage screenings yet, so I hope everyone knows what they're in for, but get your tickets early because as much as it seems like it's hard to sell out online, these are the things that sell out. We we sell out our in-person screenings of found footage in a day, so I'm expecting largely the same for online, and it is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, also, Joe and Nick are going to be helping us out with our cartoons as well, with their Shatterday Morning Cartoon program. Which Say that again? Shatterday Morning Cartoon! Shatterday Morning. Shatterday, yeah. Yes, that sounds appropriate. Uh, can tell us a bit more about that. Joe and Nick have their programs on Saturday mornings looking at old cartoons, which is something we're also a big fan of too, because we have our own Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, and so event. They'll, wa- they'll watch one and they'll break it down with one of the creators of the series. And it's a over serious analysis with a bunch of jokes of juvenile content. So you'll definitely want to register for that free event. Yeah, and then after that event, it'll segue right into our own Saturday morning cartoon party. Three hours of retro goodness. Unfortunately, we won't be providing you the cereal this year like we often do, but it'll still be a great way for everyone to get together, watch some cartoons they haven't seen in a while, and we'll at least post some recommendations of some cereal you can pick up and where to find it. My early pick is going to be the Blueberry Pancake Captain Crunch. You've tried it too, right? Loved them, caused some Saturday mornings of myself. (laughs) our Thursday evening stomach issues. But uh, if you can handle it, buy the ticket, take the ride, baby. I ate half a box of Fruity Pebbles a few days ago, and... uh I'm I'm getting ready. I'm building up. All right. That's how I'm building up, up an immunity. <laughs> it's also our first year with a new curator. Oh, yes. Yeah, Do we so know much about this new curator? Yeah, well, Dave Bertrand, uh, it's going to be awesome. I think people are going to be excited to see this. So he stretched it into the 90s, so that's a little bit different. It used to be 19... 19- like 60s to 80s, and now it's 60s to 90s. He was a partner with uh, Kayla way back in the day, programming and theater company that they had in Montreal. Oh, great. So, yeah, she's passed the torch over to Dave. and Big shoes to fill. Yeah, he's got the he's got the catalog. He's been a part of working with her for a number of years. And, yeah, we'll be doing a little bit of a spot about who he is, too. Beautiful. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave. I can't wait to see what you've arranged for all of you maniacs out there. Fingers crossed for DuckTales. <laughs> Guys, this all sounds really good. Where can I get my tickets? I want to see the whole thing. Well, you have probably have back-end access, but everyone else, everyone else, everyone else might want to go to calgaryundergroundfilm.org to get their tickets through our provider show pass hosted on our CineSend platform, watch.calgaryundergroundfilm.org. Subscribers get great access to choose their own adventure of how they want to see stuff. But of course, you can also buy single tickets. You can buy five packs. All of that will be through calgaryundergroundfilm.org. And we're on Roku and Apple TV again this year? We are. Absolutely we are. Well, thanks so much for joining us, gang. And Brenda, I wanted to know a bit more about the Found Footage Festival and uh, a board game a certain somebody has in the works. So uh, let's call up Nick. Hello? 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 Hey, hey. Hey, quiet! It's him again! The Mona! Good to see you guys. 
Yeah, good to hear from you, man. We got a beautiful copy of the game we're looking at. Excellent. This yeah. Is my first time seeing it. Brandon's first time. It smells real good. Yeah, I was so happy with the um, the yeah, design on there. It, take uh, a whiff, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> the first thing you do whenever you get a new board game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, man. These cards are absolutely hilarious. And the variety of faces on here. Like, how many people would you say were photographed overall for this? Well, there's 96 cards, and we probably shot, like, 120 people and then chose the good, best mix for this game. How many cameos snuck in? I took a photo for it. I did not put myself in the game. I thought about it, and I was like, I don't want to be judged. I'll leave that for the other people. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm looking at Elijah Wood here. Yes, that is Elijah Wood. Oh, nice one. That's great. He played a demo of the game and loved it. And was like, is there any way I could be in it? So Tim League was like, yeah. <laughs> so we shot him too and had him be in the game. So, so how, does that, how does that conversation start? Because many people know you from the Found Footage Festival and uh, your many other hilarious endeavors. But folks might not know you're a huge board game geek as well. So how long ago did you consider making a game? And how did you eventually pitch Mondo on this? My board game history is that my family and I grew up playing board games. No one in my family is a drinker, so that was what we did on Friday and Saturday nights. My grandparents actually made up a, a variation of the game Cootie. Like, I don't know if you've played that one at the Plastic Bug, and you add legs and eyes to it. It's like a kid's game. They made up a version where you just play that in groups of four, and then but you bring a bag full of five items in it, two good ones, two bad ones, and one that could be either or. You know, the bad things could be like used dental floss in a plastic bag or Somebody brought, I believe their um, IUD after they got it removed. I mean, they, people got pretty creative with the bad things eventually. But uh, uh, good things were, you know, a deck of cards or some lotion or something, you know. And then the either or could be like a, a single of the song Buffalo Stance. You know, like it, <laughs> some people, that'd be great. So anyway, you would uh, if you lose the game, the game takes five minutes to play. The person who won grabs a good item from your bag and then gives you something they don't want from their bag. And after you win enough times, you end up with some great stuff at the end of the night. And so anyway, I grew up playing games like that with my family. And then in the mid 2000s, when like these hobby board games from Germany and elsewhere started coming over, me and a group of friends got into those, too. So I've been playing board games, you know, all my life. And because we spend so much time at thrift stores with found footage, I started finding all these like 90s and 80s, basically teen girl games in there. Brenda, did you play any of these growing up? Dream Phone, Mall Madness? Yeah, we were kind of talking about that before. Our producer, Rhett, has played more of them than Brenda, but Brenda was <laughs> yeah. in the culture. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, see, I always felt like I missed out. You know, the, the poor white male never gets any fun, right? So we had to, all my friends and I were playing, uh, you know, they wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons and Risk. And, you know, I was not interested in playing that as a teenager. But my sisters and my friend's sisters were playing what looked like incredibly exciting social games. Like Mall Bandits, Dream Phone, Dateline, Girl Talk, Secret Diary. Those smaller parties just seemed like more fun. It's like the grass is always greener, right? I feel like typical boy slumber parties in the 80s were basically just trying to torture each other. And so physical torture was involved <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know. So once I started finding these games at thrift stores, I started buying them. And, and most are, are not worth playing, but a few had some like interesting ideas in them. And they always led to fun discussions. I thought, well, there's got to be a way to update that. 
And so I started making this homebrew version of the game with just stuff printed off on index cards, you know, those make your own business card things. (laughs) And I would just bring them with me on tour and play with people. And we were playing an event called VHSTival in Raleigh, North Carolina at an Alamo draft house there. And that's where we met Tim League for the first time with the Alamo Draft House. And he was demoing their new board game that was based on a video rental store in the apocalypse or something. So we were playing that. And I was like, hey, I got something in my backpack if you want to play it. It's like two in the morning. And we played it and started talking about it and, and you know, spitballing ideas. And finally, he was like, uh, let's make this game. So, yeah, then we started in earnest working on it and kind of honing it and playtesting it. And after about a year of doing that, took some photos of hunks and babes and everybody in between and yeah, started producing the game. So what is the part of the updating of the game? Because uh, as you said, this is kind of a retro throwback, but all of the characters on the cards are quite modern, even if they are wearing uh, throwback clothing and we have fresh new terms like getting sticky. <laughs> what, what were kind of some of the steps to modernize it? Well, the the toughest part about it was thinking about it in terms of what gender politics are like now, because all the teen games that were aimed at girls back then were all hetero boys that that you were trying to lust after or have crushes on. And and they were all white, too. You know, it was just it was like a complete lack of diversity in all these games. And my first thought was it still has to be teen boys because Boys can just be punching bags. They always say in comedy, you should punch up, not down, you know? And women are constantly judged for their appearance, for for every little thing. Guys are just walking buffoons, you know, in general. So it's easy to, to take a shot at them. So for a long time, I resisted putting other people besides guys in the game. And I thought if it's a throwback style game, let's just, let's do that. But in playtesting the game, I started playing with people from LGBTQIA communities, people who were non-binary and stuff like that. They're like, well, we don't want to be left out either. Why do that? And I explained my reasoning. I'm like, let's just try it with all genders. And I just like printed out some cards on the internet from different people. And we found it worked fine. The key was just not only going by appearance. You always have some personality traits, what we call secrets in the game, to go on. So it's not completely just judging somebody on their appearance. And and what I've found in doing that is it actually is somewhat transgressive in that, like, you don't even think about gender. At least I don't when I play it. I'm like, yeah, you know. You're looking to be charmed. Yeah, basically. I'm looking to be charmed. Or, like, there's sometimes there's a deal breaker. Like, if somebody's carrying around a dog-eared copy of Atlas Shrugged, I don't care how attractive <laughs> they are to me. I'm, you know, I'm going to go with Jerry, you know, because he's the nicest guy. So, and, you know, and you and fit I, in a few pets. I noticed there's a couple yes. cards with people's animals. Yes, there are yeah. a few cards with animals. There's a cat. There's a hairless cat. Um, yeah. There's a so interspecies as well. <laughs> yeah, you're. I mean, you get the whole package. You get the person and their. Think about how much money you'd make with a Shrek expansion. Just putting it out there, Nick. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, the the possibilities for expansions are endless. So I'm hoping it sells well enough that I can do one. My my yeah. initial idea is to do like a Halloween one. So oh, it's like, yeah. what costume do they wear for Halloween? Oh, that'd be nice. You know, do you have any a, uh, recommended music to play the game with? Girls just want to have fun. Cindy Lauper, um, maybe some Duran Duran, or maybe just do the best of 1989 playlist. <laughs> see what comes up. Where can people buy the game, Nick? The most direct route is just to go to dreamcrushgame.com. 
Awesome. And what can we expect in the new found footage package for Cuff 2021? I got to think about what we're doing. We had to interrupt our last tour, Volume 9. So I think what we'll do is probably do a hybrid of Volume 9 with a bunch of new stuff we've found since then. The biggest thing that's happened to us since the pandemic is, you know, we've been sort of limited in going to our office because it's a shared, you know, studio with other people and we're trying to be healthy. So we've only been going in a day or two a week. So we've been away from our tapes and to find new videos, we found out, we discovered that if you type in the letters IMG and then any four digits, 0209 after it into YouTube, it just comes up with a bunch of videos that were accidentally uploaded that somebody didn't even bother titling and usually have two views, sometimes zero views. It feels almost like being in a thrift store and finding a VHS tape. And they're usually very short videos. And so we've been doing that since the pandemic. It's been about a year of what we call harvesting IMGs. We have thousands of them now. And it's really breathed new life into being able to find stuff, especially since thrift stores are getting rid of their VHS. But this feels kind of like that unspoiled way where the thing about YouTube videos is people upload them intentionally. They know it could be seen by the world, but these are so discarded and forgotten, just like our VHS tapes, that it it feels close to looking for tapes in thrift stores. So that's kept us going mentally. And it's really turned over a new leaf for the show. It's been great. So we'll, we'll bring our best of IMGs there for sure. We can't wait to see the fruits of your labor. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again in uh, April. Okay. See you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Nice to see you. Yep. Up next, we have a special report with our own programmer, Brennan Tilly, who had the privilege of speaking with Tank Standing Buffalo, who did the festival artwork this year, as well as has the TIFF-selected short film Reckless in the festival, and Trey Madsen, who did our beautifully stunning festival artwork this year. Be sure to snag your t-shirts. You're going to be wearing those for years to come. So today I'm joined by Trey Madsen and Tank Standing Buffalo. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me today. How you guys doing? Doing great, doing great. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. So I think a a good place to start is, well, first is saying how much we love your work and that's why we want to bring both you guys on board. Tank, I'd seen your stuff around for several years. We've kind of vaguely crossed paths and never really had a chance to do anything together. And Trey, you came, I think your art came in a year or two ago we saw and just absolutely loved and knew we were going to work something with you you know, as soon as possible. And we're so glad that when we reached out to each of you, each, each accepted. And I thought, you know, on, on that note, maybe we'd uh, start by a bit of the background of your style of art, your background, that type of stuff. Maybe uh, starting with you, Tank. Um, well, right now I'm really into animation. It's really the only thing that holds my attention right now. Awesome. Awesome. Trey, how did you get to where, where you are? I uh, just started with just drawing, always drawing. I got a tablet here, digital tablet to work on. And then it just kind of picked up from there, kind of moving from like traditional work per se on paper or canvas to more of a digital realm. And then it just became more easily accessible for job opportunities and things like that within uh, the design industry world. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, and on the note of Tank and your great animation, I just mentioned we have one of your animated shorts in our festival this year, which we're, we're so happy with, in addition to uh, you doing our, our festival animation. Uh, and one of the things that I really noticed about what uh, what you, you sent us for the animation is just how 
cuff it felt like it just like a meat i mean we kind of knew that when we looked at your your work and thought this is definitely our vibe but uh when i first saw that rough animation i was like man this is someone that like gets cuff and i was just wondering is there anything you could speak to in terms of touch points or you know how you think of cuff or, or how you came up with that beautiful animation you've provided us well it's a reference to tetsu iron man which was probably one of my earliest memories of being introduced to underground films it was just so insane and uh violent and it almost seemed like I wasn't supposed to be watching it. Actually, I think I got it from a, this guy who had a comic book store and it was on VHS and uh, it was all kind of under the counter kind of trading. And and, and so, yeah, that was my reference was uh, Tetsuo Iron Man. And if anybody's ever seen that, they know <laughs> some of the references that I'm putting in there. I asked how far was too far and I was given the green light to true <laughs> to it. <laughs> so it was really fun, actually. Uh, I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, I, I would say one of our mantras is there's very little that's too far. I mean, I yeah. think we want to be, uh, you know, explicit with reason. But I, I think each of us has our own introduction to what Cuff is. That's actually pretty extreme. And then maybe our own experience have tamed down a bit since then. But I think a lot of us have that first exposure to Cuff that is quite a wild story. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Trey, for your concept, I was really impressed with how you managed to capture what Cuff is going to be this year. It's going to be our second hybrid festival, but last year we postponed so close to our dates that we actually kind of already had the art in place and had to make slight tweaks to make it hybrid. But I thought you did a great job of taking that idea that people are going to be watching this so many different ways and, and running with it. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you managed to, to put that concept together so well with what you ultimately made for that poster. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. After the initial design came out, I kind of wanted it to be uh, sort of a movie drive-in public space. And then I don't know if it was an issue, but the topic came up of uh, like, you know, COVID circumstances and social distancing and whatnot. So it was kind of interesting that I had to tweak my artwork to fit these parameters that we're living in because of COVID-19. But I was able to find a creative way around it that wouldn't be insulting and it was kind of like poking fun at a bunch of things and then just having fun with it too uh obviously not as explicit as tanks work but <laughs> still like vibrant and just kind of zany out there i tried to incorporate the social distancing within the composition there and then with each character i was just like oh well let's give this person something different let's give him you know a full hazmat suit why not and uh just trying to keep it within those parameters but still having fun with it too and i think it turned out well i got some good feedback i was kind of concerned they'd be like why is that person wearing a mask and no one else isn't but like were, were there any direct references like or inspiration to the art or the people or the birds or you know any of the objects the symbols that you have in that art yeah pretty much within all my work there's music and movies lyrics conversations you know things that you see every day uh, that influenced my work. And so with this, with the poster, it was a couple pieces in there. There's uh, Matthew McConaughey with the Chevelle in there. And he's leaning up against it, the, the black car there with the red racing stripes on it. Um, That's our Dazed and Confused. Yeah, yeah, Dazed and Confused there. There's my sister's dog that's in there. Uh, crazy. The pug? The pug thing, yeah, there's Pugsley. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Pugsley. What up, Jesse? Um <laughs> And uh, there's the guru guy who was just kind of like a skateboard sort of reference to, I don't know, street style. 
kind of thing. I was originally thinking of an audience with a bunch of 3D glasses back in like the 50s. So I kind of took out just a weird black and white photo that I found of uh, the two couple there that are socially distanced. And there's weird little tidbits of details that are in there if you look close enough. Once the poster's printed, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that detail is. There's weird references that are like kind of personal things in there. You look at the DJ guy in the corner and there's like a scroll, kind of like the diploma, the degree, and then the golden 24 karat bar of, you know, solid gold. And then like a cheddar, piece of cheddar and dollar bills and stuff, you know, just... I wasn't sure if he was mixing a pizza there or, or what, what's on there, but whatever it is, it's, it looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, I, and then just throwing random stuff in like that of just like swapping out details, non-descriptive things and just being like, oh, I'm going to throw that in there because I don't know, I can't. It's awesome. There's lots of layers and detail, just little cute things to it too. The little pigeons there. Yeah. Love the color design too. It's totally you. It looks awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I uh, just started with ambiguous colors because I didn't actually know how to do color theory when I was going to ACAD. <laughs> I couldn't mix colors properly. So I was like, screw it. This guy has blue skin. This guy has green. He's yellow and red and this guy's purple. And then it just kind of carried on like that kind of being lazy. But then my teachers picked up on it and they're like, this looks really good. You should just go with it. And I was like, oh, yeah. That was my goal the whole time. I planned that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a perfect execution. <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better. Thank you. <laughs> what kind of direction were you guys given? Like, how did you even come to this idea or what was the conversation with Cuff to create the art that you guys did? Maybe just to give them a window into, into that process of designing the art for the festival. I just handed in a sketch and it got approved. So. <laughs> <laughs> the first sketch really. So there's no real direction of what they wanted or anything. It was just like, no. you got something cool to give us and then you sketched it or what? Yeah, those are my favorite projects. Just give me a genre to work within and let me come up with it and I'll be really happy at the end, which is the most important for me. Well, when you're pulling from Tetsuo, yeah, you're in the right <laughs> frame of mind. You don't need to, you don't need any extra direction than that yet. Yeah. And what, what about you, Trey? It was the initial sketch just started with a quick throw up of kind of party people and then... The rest was just there like, yeah, we like your style, just do it. So I kind of wanted to see, not so how far I could push the envelope, but just have fun with it, really. And thankfully, it got some pretty good feedback. I was uh, it was a little bit hesitant, but everybody else likes it, too. There's something in it for everybody, I think. Definitely. And Tank, I, I know that you had a musical collaborator on this, Sammy Jean, and I understand that you actually worked with her on a few projects, right? Could you maybe talk a bit about how that collaboration works on an animation? I mean, obviously you said you had what the theme was, but is there any back and forth or do you kind of have something, you know, a piece of music of hers in the vague sense what you want when you're animating or like how much is it kind of all in place and how much is it, you know, separate? Well, she knows me really, really well. So that helps. And we just talk about the feeling of the cartoon. Maybe we give some references and then uh, yeah, she just goes off and comes back with magic. Awesome. Every time. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. There's not too much. There really is no direction for her at all. But it's more of like you you finish the animation totally and then and then hand it off and she sees your animation. That's what she kind of goes off of. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, cool, cool. 
Well, I think that that kind of covers the the bit about you know what I want to talk about because I think that really hits on the the genesis of what these two pieces are that are so fantastic and I think you know as we've been talking that it's really occurred to me more how different they are but also how they both so capture what Cuff is and I was thinking about this the other day about how I traveled to a lot of festivals I always have like the festival art in mind the really linked together animation or bumper that plays before each film it all seems so uniform but what I really like about cuff is that we don't have that you know we have this kind of like wild vibrant poster and then uh this animated bumper that really sets the mood for the more explicit stuff that you're actually going to see <laughs> so I, I really like how those play off of each other guys but before we go i wanted to say that i think you know you both are people that people will want to work with more and was hoping you could tell us a bit about how people could could get in touch if they've got some projects for you that they they'd love to work with you on well for sammy jean it's uh sammygene.com you can go there and contact her there. For me, it's a little harder. If you really want to find me, you can find me. All right. <laughs> Just leave it at that. I'm not too sure how you guys, somebody emailed me from Cuff. Yeah, we had your contact through stuff. Yeah, we were able to track you down. <laughs> not like you have a generic name, like a John Smith or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. How about you, Trey? I know that we creep your Instagram, I think. Is that where people should check out to see your work or is there something else they should do, a way to get in contact with you? Yeah, uh, main main point of contact is just the Instagram, at coolguymadsen. And then uh, I don't really use Facebook. Through Instagram, just DM me or I got the website too, which is on the link there, www.treymadsen.com. It's very original, I know. Those are the main two ways. Tell your friends. Thanks so much for contributing such great work to our festival this year. And thanks for taking the time to chat with us and give a bit of background on it and some insight into your work, because I think both pieces are, are just so phenomenal and exactly what uh, what we were looking for. And again, thanks again for joining us. Strange cravings and hallucinations befall a young couple after seeking shelter in the home of an aging farmer and her peculiar son in the crazy new hillbilly zombie movie Honeydew from Devereaux Milburn. Now available on VOD, we were uh, lucky to have this film screen as a part of our Off the Cuff screening series, which is a year-long showcase of the movies we wanted to get for Cuff, but couldn't quite nail it down. So all of these have the Cuff gold standard seal of approval. Honeydew is one you don't want to miss. Be sure not to eat dinner while watching this one, folks. So stick around with my candid chat with writer-director Devereaux Milburn. Hey, Dev, thanks for joining us, and thanks for making such a beautifully grotesque picture. Yeah, thanks. My uh, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, De- Devereaux itself even has nice Southern Gothic rings to it. Yeah, it's more English. My version of Devereaux is more English. My dad's side of the family, his name is Devereaux, and so it's less the Blanche Devereaux that people might be... Uh, more familiar with Golden Ghost. Would you, would you agree? Would you agree? The film has a bit of a Southern Gothic flavor to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, it's it was filmed in New England, so there is sort of a crossover. But I'm also a crossover myself. I'm was raised by a Southerner and a New Englander slash Long Islander, so I've got a bit of the East and South sort of burnt into my aesthetic. There's definitely influences from both sides. Well, and now that we've touched upon influences, this picture stands out as its very own thing. It's not really a cannibal movie or a hillbilly zombie movie. It's kind of like a biological body horror 
in a way that has extreme compassion for all participants. But with such a fresh voice, where did you look to for influences on this picture, um, whether it be literary or film or music-wise? Yeah, there's a few films that I returned to after I'd sort of started the first draft. And those were primarily Eyes Without a Face was a big run, the Franju film, The Devils and Audition. And then some that I've, I mean, I've always sort of had on repeat are Rosemary's Baby and, um, you know, the classics like The Shining and The Exorcist. Those, I'd say, in terms of horrors that I really sort of ran into the dirt in terms of viewings over the course of writing the first couple drafts, those sort of stood out. And there's obviously some Tobe Hooper influence from the original TCM and even the TCM2. Those were a bit more subconscious, I think, because those are the Southern cannibal horror film. Yeah, um, but what what stands out about the Tobe Hooper ones are that they have this comedy to them, this ir- right. ir- this irony yes. and this, uh, this dialogue that's so flavorful. Sure. Yeah, I definitely wanted there to be a comedy element um, and one that and finding the balance between that and the sort of tension and the element of body horror was a big part of the process of developing the script and developing the characters and developing the, the overall narrative and where sort of Karen winds up taking them and how much is revealed, how much violence I want to inject in the first act, in the first two acts, do I want any violence and how to sort of sustain tension and, and keep the audience hooked without that because that you know for me uh, as much as I love slashers and as much as I love creature and monster films the thing that is most my strong suit and the thing that appeals to me most is sort of holding off on that stuff while we build the the other the other elements over the yeah make it a payoff yeah exactly and you do that so Um, beautifully it's funny you mention audition because there's a certain scene in your film that has uh, echoes of the infamous kitty 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 yeah, yeah. audition and uh i was like i'm pretty sure this dude likes the mike shit but i'm not gonna assume okay i'm not gonna yeah. assume yeah yeah no and uh yeah ichi the killer was a big favorite of mine in high school i, th- I guess i've been in to horror and some to some degree since i was young uh just the idea of like i wasn't really allowed to watch them so i'd have to sort of sneak sneak the VHS and um, I spent a lot of time sort of scanning the back of the VHS and imagining what horrors lay within. And uh, I think each of the killer was one of the first ones like in my burgeoning horror high school years uh, that really sort of sang to me. It was Ichi and I think was Suicide Circle or Suicide Club. Um, Sono. Yeah, I never, I can never pronounce the actual title but yeah those were two that i was kind of obsessed with and so how do you merge that with americana these very wild asian new wave elements yeah i think um on some level there's an inevitability that that was going to be infused with both european and east asian cinema and and figuring out how to do that without sort of figuring out how to do it and sort of make it as organic as possible because a lot of it is just an intuitive and something that i clearly like to do and the absurdity of certain scenes uh, but also making sure that there's as much absurdity as i think is fun to watch and applies to the narrative but also making sure that i'm not just completely running wild 
Uh, and the Americana element, definitely, again, for my, my mom grew up in East Texas and my dad's family is from New York and, and Rhode Island and Connecticut. And I spent a lot of time in both those places and was heavily influenced by sort of not only the dialect, but the accents and the landscapes and just sort of the overall sort of atmosphere of family life in both of those places. Um, yeah, the, the vibes are real. And it's and it's funny you have such direct references um, for the film because it's definitely not the homage-laden horror film people are used to these days. It's very much sure. its own thing. And yeah. what I think adds to that is the abrasive editing style and audio mix that you use at times. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about your background with that type of process and how hands-on sure. you and how hands-on you might have been with it? Yeah, so I, I did edit the film. I'm an editor and a director by trade. So I'm and I sort of go back and forth between the two because as an editor, I found it a lot easier to consistently get editing work, especially recently, because it allows me to work from home. And as a result, it's sort of I'm constantly working that muscle and have been for the last like, you know, 12, 13 years. And so from the beginning, I knew I would at least edit the first assembly and likely the first rough cut and i sort of had an idea of how i wanted to edit it based on the many conversations i'd had with my dp and the production designer and the actors and figuring out the sort of rhythm of the film as a whole and then i had a much obviously a much better idea once we wrapped and i sort of dove in and started to parse through and there's definitely there's definitely echoes of de palma and american 70s horror cinema like carrie and and fury and sisters were big definitely big films for me which had their own bohemian art school style of editing for sure yeah and yeah and that is definitely inherent in, in a lot of the stuff i do and a lot of my editing style is more or less consistent in any creative project that i am assigned as editor and so um, this this one were you doing the sound edit as well because the sound matches the beats so perfectly I laid a groundwork. So I can't remember when we, Rafael Ojuelos is sound designer and John Merriman is the composer and did the score. I'm trying to remember what cut we were on by the time we hired both of them. I guess John was already on, he was actually on set a, a couple days, but um, Rafael came a bit later and I think we were a few cuts in. So I had sort of mapped out a lot of the sound design. And then he just like, just shot a whole bunch of color into it and nuance and really just gave it this life and this sort of hue that it hadn't had for the first few months. We spent probably eight to 10 hours a day for maybe a month or two. I knew that was going to be an important part of it, especially shooting in a place where there was just a not a lot in terms of exteriors, it was just sort of in the middle of nowhere. And I wanted there to be a sense of emptiness outside, um, empty sort of vastness and inside as well. I wanted to sort of let the house breathe in a way. There would be a visceral response so that when they first walk into the home, they're sweating and they're comfortable. And I wanted people watching to really feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and that definitely comes across. And uh that leads me to how difficult was the actual production? Because we we hear horror stories of Toby Hooper having to burn cats on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> a, con a constant smell of rot in the yeah. house. And uh, it's felt in that film, but it's also felt in your film. But I don't want to automatically assume you had carcasses everywhere. No. <laughs> no, we didn't. We did consider at the 
beginning scheduled a, a, a scout for roadkill at one point with our production designer uh, Kendra. I think for the dream sequence, then we we scaled back a bit. We also had the luxury of having very little time. I think we shot in about eleven days. You shot uh, this in eleven days. Being generous, I think 10 days with some, uh, with like a half day for our final day. And then wow. we, we had a number of pickups. So we did have pickups that didn't necessitate full performances and were mostly B-roll and second unit stuff. But so, yeah, it so, was- Sorry to interrupt, but how do you, yeah. how do you fit in so many practical effects on a 10 or 11 day shoot? With great struggle and uh, <laughs> and anxiety, and with that said, it was not as bad as it could have been. And there were, and because of the morale on set, and because of how sort of amped everyone was, I think maybe in part because of the restrictions, time wise, we all had a great time making it. And there wasn't, there weren't any major blowups or anyone walking off set or anything like that. It was more just you wake up and you just go, 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 and then at the end of the day after shooting a 15, sometimes 18, maybe 20 hour day, not every day, but some days were pretty heavy. You know, we had eight pages a day. It was like 105 page script. We definitely had to push it a lot of the time. And sort of at the end of each day, we'd sit down with Dan, my DP and my AD and Alan, and we'd like three or four in the morning, go through the schedule for the following day and realize, and just keep pushing all of this, all these scenes, to the following day, following day, and then we just realized how the hell are we gonna do this? And we'd have to sort of cut corners where we could in terms of scenes that we either had to live without or really scale down. And that was, you know, that's the sort of how it works with a budget of about a hundred K and in a film with a, a fair amount of detail and a lot of moving parts. And there were a few location, you know, company moves that probably added to the schedule being even more sort of clenched. Almost everyone on set got poison ivy, some really bad, some so bad. Kendra, for one, Dan, uh, had poison ivy all up her, both of her arms, so she was completely bandaged. Had white bandages on both of her arms, and, and Dan also was, I remember, had in between takes for the last few days of shooting, would <laughs> scratch his, his arms against the like moldy brick wall in the basement. And uh, there were a number of people I fell out of a car at one point while we were the the sob that their drive, the, the picture car did not run for the entire shoot. So they would drive it to set and then it wouldn't run. So we'd have to push it for all of their driving shots. And then eventually we got some pickups later for the exterior uh, shots where they were able to get it going. But yeah, there are a lot of scrapes that Joshua Dudley who plays the Kid on the bike, broke a few ribs riding the bike down a hill during one of the takes in the opening sequence. And no one, like, even if they, if someone got injured, if there was a massive outbreak of poison ivy, the complaining was really minimal. And it was sort of understood that this is part of making movies. The adventure. Well, I can't wait to hear more behind the scenes stories. Is there a potential Blu-ray in the works? Yeah, I th right now it's it's not officially in the works, but we're, at, we're collecting um, content. So yeah, we're hoping maybe to have some interviews. We have some BTS stuff, not as much as I would have liked, but again, like we were- You were too busy making a, another movie. Yeah, exactly. And we were grabbing PAs from like every department and there was a lot of crossover there too as well. So uh, to wrap things up, how do you feel about how the film's been received so far and how do you hope that it resonates with audiences? It's been really good for the most part. You know, I think Nightstream was like, a real sort of sleeper festival and really rose to the occasion of the pandemic 
virtual festival format early on and we were not expecting that especially after tribeca got canceled and wound up giving the film some exposure to some degree and people seemed to respond to it and i think the only concern i would have obviously is because there are a lot of lines drawn to chainsaw that there's an expectation that it'll it'll sort of be at that level of gore and sensational violence, which it obviously isn't, but there is this sort of rumbling element that leads to something a bit higher octane later on. So that was always my concern was that it would be a disappointment to certain audiences of that subgenre. But so far, the, the people who have expected that, a lot of people have come away being pleasantly surprised with, you know, it sort of being more of a hybrid of a bunch of different types of genre film. Um, and some and, subvert, uh, subverting expectations keeps shit exciting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Thanks for keeping it real, man. It's been a blast having sure. you on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I had a blast as well. Oh shit, mail day! Mail day! Best part of the week! I got some hot picks, Rhett. I'm gonna kick things off, man, because I'm very stoked that this is finally getting released. It's the Cuff-selected film, Minding the Gap by Bing Liu, and this has now entered the Criterion Collection. It's a beautiful documentary made by teenage skateboarders that could not feel more real. I guess it'd be lazily pitched as the Gen Z version of kids but really happening. Before your eyes, it's heart-wrenching, it's beautiful, and the disc is filled with follow-up interviews with all of the subjects, as well as some short films from the uh, creators of Minding the Gap. So definitely check this out. It played Cuff, and you know how much I love buying a movie that we screened and I've seen, you know, four or five times already. Criterion, too. Criterion, beautiful cover. Yeah. Yeah, pick it up. That's great. Well, you got Rhett. Um, I guess I've tangentially related to Cuff. I've got Blood Harvest, the only feature film starring none other than Tiny Tim, who is featured in the documentary King for a Day, which just played Cuff Docs 2020. So thanks for the plug, Rhett. Great <laughs> yeah. doc, does focus on Blood Harvest a little bit, but not as much as this disc, man. Look at that thing. Yeah, so this is a Vinegar Syndrome disc packed with features and... Directed by Bill Rabane, who will be featured in the upcoming box set from Arrow, probably my most anticipated of 2021. Wild Wisconsin, the films of Bill Rabane. I think it's about eight films of his. A lot of, covers a lot of ground. But anyway, Blood Harvest, I'm a huge slasher fan. And uh, this one is one of the wilder ones, mainly because of Tiny Tim. But, you know, it checks all the boxes for a good slasher. A lot of skin. And then, yeah, a lot of, a lot of skin. A little Tiny Tim skin as well. And he's skinning some people as well, too, I think. But what a weird movie he's just seen. he's just running around kind of aimless and he's like it's weird it's like he's so two, three movies in one he's that, wearing the a, joe bob episode is essential yeah 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 the joe bob episode of this on uh, shutter is an essential watch all right next up i also have a vinegar syndrome ret the first ever porno on 4k <laughs> sex world wow, the great that slipcase beautiful this might be my favorite theme song to any porn film <laughs> 
sorry, golden age porn film. I'm sure the new ones have great soundtracks. We'll never listen to them. <laughs> but once this thing gets started, you know you're in for a classier film. This is definitely not hot and saucy pizza girls. This is more like Eyes Wide Shut. It really explores the fantasies of married couples, of disenfranchised married couples. Beautiful cinematography, very high production value. I'll bet it looks great in 4K. Wouldn't have been my first pick as the first uh, golden age porn on 4K, but a noble pick regardless. So definitely pick this up if you're into golden age erotica, as we discussed on last week's episode with Mr. Robin Bougie. Which who isn't? Yeah, that one's got Kay Parker's first maybe starring role. I certainly uh, came of age to her films in, in more ways than one. Thanks, Rhett. <laughs> What do you got next? So I like slasher films, but I also love Canadian films. So this one is Kathy's Curse from Severin. This one was not on my radar until it had been announced. And it took me a little while to get to it. It's been on maybe a year or two. But it's sort of like an exorcist knockoff, but uh, in a Montreal kind of quaint sort of way, but it's got some like little stop motion moments in there. And, uh, you know, it's that kind of genre of nice little girl saying the most horrendous, terrible things like Linda Blair and The Exorcist. But again, this has that kind of Canadian niceness and quirkiness to it that is just kind of one of a kind. And this disc is absolutely stacked with a director's cut restored and then the original like shorter theatrical cut. So a lot of really interesting features on here. And uh, it's just a delightful little bit of exploitation that never gets the respect it deserves. All hail Severin. I'll be buying that one too. Yeah, it's a great one. Well, Rhett, you cheated and opened and watched one of yours, so now I've cheated and opened and watched one of mine from the mail day. Emmanuel in America. All right. From director Joe Diamato, the king of sleaze himself. Now, Rhett, I uh, hadn't told you I'd watched this yet because I wanted to save it for the podcast. This film's quite infamous. I didn't know why. <laughs> and it's quite notorious... And I didn't know why. And I was like, what could really be that shocking from Joe Diamato? The guy doesn't know how to set up a light. How could he truly shock me? Well, folks, I was shocked. Now, I watched it with Cody Cook, founder of Night Terrors Horror Film Society. He, too, was shocked. At a certain point, we turned to each other and said, I don't think I ever want to watch another movie as long as I live. This movie is a marathon of sleaze. I mean that in a good way, and I mean that in a bad way. It's a lot to take. I may never watch it again, but I also would watch it again tomorrow if somebody wanted to. It's a movie I'll never forget, and I don't want to go into detail why, because even describing some of what happens in this film is not safe for the podcast. But I will say that the Italians were once known for murdering animals on screen, in this one, an animal's not murdered, thankfully. They love animals, you yes. could say. <laughs> it only goes down the mud hill from that infamous scene. I thought to myself, there's no way this film will be any more gratuitous and gross than that scene. But it just continues to wallow in filth. And then the end, they tried to dismiss all of it with some weird plot twist that they were on a film set the whole time that does not work. Because everything before it, extremely grueling. Not erotic. This is the least erotic triple X film I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Mondo Macabro put out a stack disc. There's a whole feature length documentary on Joe Diamato. 
There's an interview with the writer of the film. It's a beautiful 4K restoration, but buyer beware, this movie is fucked up. It's been a while since I've seen. Is there? There's a snuff plot in it as well. Snuff film plot. Right. Or no? You yeah. Should have given me a trigger it? warning. No, <laughs> giving me PTSD. There's a snuff plot, and I thought I was desensitized to snuff plots. Oh my god, the snuff footage in this movie is so gross. And so, hats off to Joe D'Amato and Co. This is an effective horror movie. I will never forget it. It's marketed as an erotic film. By no means is this erotic. This movie is gross. So if you're feeling like wallowing in filth. Definitely watch it, but don't watch it with, you know, expecting to make jokes by any means. Yeah, the Emmanuel with one M series with Laura Gemser, and it went in some crazy directions. I mean, you got titles like Emmanuel and the White Slave Trade, and yet Emmanuel in America, I think, is certainly the weirdest and wildest of the bunch. Yeah, I will be watching some more of them, but many, many moons from now. Sounds like Severin's got a box set on the docket, so stay tuned for that. What's last on our uh, mail day segment? Well, I got a confession. I also watched this one as well. Nerd. (laughs) And it's also from Vinegar Syndrome also. But I wanted to shout it out because it was such a weird departure for me. Uh, So I'm, I'm huge into the Crown International films. Their hangout films are seminal to me. The Malibu Beach, Van Nuys Boulevard, The Van... It's like my holy trinity, those three films. And you can add the pom-pom girls in there as well. I love all of those movies. So Malibu Beach being my favorite of all of them. And so this one, Malibu High, which they hired the same artist to do the artwork for it. It looked like a super fun romp time. I mean, look at that, Cam. Yeah, it looks like the van should be right beside it. Yeah, bikini on the beach, a whole bunch of interesting characters all having fun around. And then you pop this in, and it's almost like a an after-school special going off the rails. It's kind of like Midnight Cowboy, in a way. <laughs> yeah, a teenage girl, to get better grades, starts sleeping with her teacher, and then it becomes this slippery slope of getting into organized crime. Then she becomes a hitman and is working for mobsters and everything. And it doesn't end so well. But anyway, it, it just goes in a really unsavory place, and I just could not fathom it was going in that direction when you look at the cover and you think it's just going to be another fun hangout movie so if you want something a little off the beaten path it's got a firecracker performance by the main actress who she never ever worked again jill lansing so shout out to you jill you did an amazing job in this thankless role well that's a wrap on the second official episode of the cuff cast I'd like to thank Brendan and Brenda for joining us. I'd like to thank Nick and Devereaux for swinging by to chat about all the cool stuff they have in the works. Hopefully you can make time to check out the 2021 Calgary Underground Film Festival online at the end of the month, geolocked to Alberta. Uh, how, how did you think that one went, right? That was pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun content there. I was writing down notes with all the films you're recommending. I can't wait to check out the Saturday morning cartoon segment. Always a favorite for me. Yeah, and uh, next episode we have Mr. Colin Geddes, one of the key members of the TIFF Midnight Madness Wildfire, to discuss the importance of curation and kind of what he's been working on and his superhero origin story. And uh, Miss Heather Buckley swings by to discuss all things horror and special features. So. Please do hit that like and subscribe button. We should hopefully be available on a few podcast service now. Tell your friends and uh, see you next time. Stay weird. Let's go.